Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Wednesday, July 13th, 2022, which means that the two of us have, at some point today, seen episode six of Ms. Marvel. Have we heard yet? Is this the season finale or the series finale I, I would guess by that end credit scene that we haven't seen the last of kamala it really depends i think they're just going to sit there and look at numbers for a while and and see if you know what the audience was and what the makeup of the audience was mm-hmm. and then uh, take a look at what the internet is saying is it is it positive is it negative and uh there are things you know the decisions you make are full steam ahead with the sequel uh, the mm-hmm. follow-up series, or it could be a, a movie, but we've already got the Marvels lined up, so that would lead me to think we should go back to series after the Marvels. Um, or you cancel it altogether, right? And so mm-hmm. it's I think it's just a matter of what the numbers say, and then after that, what you know, if it's a close call, what is the internet buzz, positive, negative, or otherwise? Of course, this past weekend, we also had Thor, Love and Thunder arrive in theaters. And if we're talking strictly box office, this Taika Waititi movie made $143 million. That's the third highest opening weekend in North America for all of 2022. So a story just today was about how this coming weekend, Thor domestically will blow past $200 million at the box office. Now, numbers, great. On the other hand, what was fascinating, at least for me, over this past weekend was the number of people who clearly loved Thor Ragnarok, and came back and said, oh, Taika went too far this time. Too silly. Uh, it was all over the place tone-wise. And the online community giveth and the online community taketh away. Do they not remember Thor Dark World? Does that not yeah. occur in, in their mathematical equation for their complaints at all? Interesting you bring that up because there were so many people who were suddenly pretending, oh, I loved Thor, the Dark World. You know, it's like, really? Mm. Really? Okay. But anyway, we'll tell you what, folks. Aaron and I will talk in depth about both this limited series and this theatrical release in the second half of today's show. But first, the news. And as always, the news portion of Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network, for a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. You and I have talked at length, Aaron, about how much we love the quality of Ms. Marvel, whether it's the cast, uh, the look of the thing, the photography, the, the crazy use of locations. So hoping that this time next year, the show will get some recognition when it comes for primetime Emmys. Mm-hmm. Because we just found out what the past year's worth of limited series for Marvel Studios did. And they did reasonably well. They took home 19 primetime Emmy nominations. Eight of those were for Moon Knight. Six were, were for Loki. Three for the, were for the limited, excuse me, the animated series, Marvel What If, and finally two for Hawkeye. Remember how this time last year, Elizabeth Olsen got a Best Actress nomination for a limited series, likewise Paul Bettany, Best Actor Limited Series, and Catherine Hahn, Best Supporting Actresses, and these were all for WandaVision. Mm -hmm. This time around, basically all of the nominations were in the creative categories, the editing, the effects, the costuming, that sort of thing. The one exception was Chadwick Boseman, who received a a posthumous nomination for outstanding character voiceover work, and that was for him portraying T'Challa as Star-Lord. I thought for sure. Oscar Isaac's performance, where it was really three versions of one character? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that should have gotten something. Well, you know, I I guess that's another one of those reasons why I never look at any of the awards shows with any sort of weight in who wins an award. Mm -hmm. Uh, On the positive side, you can say, well, that's nice that someone got recognized for for doing their craft Mm -hmm. and leave it as blank as that. But very rarely do we ever agree with, you know, some of the choices for, you know, best actor. Oh, fooey. Should have been the other mm-hmm. guy. Definitely the other guy. That's the discussion mm-hmm. you end up having, right? At the end of the night, mm-hmm. is how you I disagree so. with most of what what occurred mm-hmm. on screen. And yeah, some popular movies win, but at the end of the day, 
yeah, we all think Oscar did a fantastic job and, and somewhere in the voting, someone thought someone else did something different, better somehow, some way based on opinion. So eh, whatever, it's okay. I reached out to folks at, at Marvel Studios when the nominations got put out there. And what was kind of fascinating is they were kind of like, well, one problem we're kind of facing these days is there's an awful lot of us right now. A lot, we're putting an awful lot of content out there. And if you consider phase one of the MCU, there were 12.4 total hours. And uh, phase two, uh, fairly consistent, you got 12.6 hours. As we step into phase three, we start doing more movies, and that's 24 solid hours worth of film featuring all sorts of Marvel characters. Oh, God, what happens when you add limited series, Jim? 49.5 hours. Yup, and Jehoshaphat. Oh, boy. Yeah. That's like a long weekend of of nonstop with no sleep. And just the fear is when you're doing that much content, when you're putting that much stuff out there, it's hard for one particular thing to stand out, which is, in hindsight, they're like, oh, maybe we should have made some choices in-house and really pushed for Oscar a little harder because it's like, it is an amazing performance. You know, and they just, they, they kind of felt bad. They thought, well, surely just on the merits of the work, it's going to stand out. But right. as it turns out, this is a particularly tough year for a limited series. I mean, the huge, huge, I mean, White Lotus alone. Well, I mean, don't you think at the end of the day that Disney, because they want to pack Disney Plus with, you know, top tier content and with the bevy of characters that Marvel has on offer. And then when you think that the Star Wars franchise is about to go in a direction that's Skywalker less in -hmm. its narrative. I have a feeling as soon as they dip their toe in a in a new portion of the sky or the the Star Wars universe, they're going to want to supplement that with more material to flesh out that story that they're telling. So it may be the Taika Waititi movie that that launches it, maybe, and then a series follows that, you know, or whether it's the thing with uh, was it Jude Law and the kids? Yeah. Uh, skeleton crew. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Whether that launches it and there's a series that follows that, but I have a feeling that they're they're going to want to create content that supports the narrative that they're exploring in that specific timeline, instead of doing like a shotgun blast approach and just kind of pepper spraying everything. So then, when you when you think about just that strategy, when you look at the Disney Plus calendar, don't you think you at least at least want a quarterly show for both Marvel and Star Wars? for the subscribers to keep subscribing to. I, I'm getting that vibe. But that's, fact, eight, you know, that's eight things, you know, just in the shows. You know, we haven't uh, even talked about the movies that you're going to be putting uh, out. So, I mean, you're going to be competing with yourself whether you like it or not. Yeah. And, and you know, then it's picking your favorite child after that. <laughs> Speaking of the stuff that's in the pipeline, and, and you're not wrong about eight, if they stick with one per quarter. I mean, think about it. Just this week, for example, we got photos coming off the set of Loki 2. Mm-hmm. And here's Tom Hiddleston back at work as the title character and, and Owen Wilson back playing Mobius. And I don't know if you saw these photos that came off of the set they're working on, but they've built an entire McDonald's from the 1970s and peopled the parking lot with station wagons and all that just so they could show uh, Sophia Martino's Sylvie character who... You would think when you kill he who remains, you would end up with a more powerful gig than working at a fast food restaurant. But here's Sylvie in the parking lot in her McDonald's costume for the era. In fact, somebody went out and figured out it's the actual McDonald's outfit from 1976. And she's walking out into the parking lot carrying her cheeseburger and her drink with Tom Hiddleston's character and with Loki following right behind her. And so that's in production right now, and we'll be out next year. Likewise, coming out next year is Iron Heart. Wait a minute, Jim. Mm-hmm. You skipped over the most important part of that whole story. I'm on the edge of my seat here, and I need to know, mm-hmm. was the shake machine working or not? I think it's the ice cream machine. Oh, okay. the shake machine. Oh, sorry, ice cream you know, machine. You're right, you're right. I got, it, I got it mixed up. It was the ice cream machine that's broken all the time. Sorry. <laughs> I learned so many things on the internet you know, that that is evidently one of the, the great problems of this age yeah. that why why doesn't the ice machine ice cream machine work at McDonald's? We're gonna start a GoFundMe for that later on. But anyway, go ahead and continue with your story. I'm sorry. Well, I, and, and speaking of characters 
we've met versus characters we're about to meet. We have, for example, Riri Williams, the character that Dominic Thorne will be playing. We get introduced to her in Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which mm -hmm. comes out November 11th. We haven't even officially met this young woman yet, but they're already hard at work on her spinoff series, Ironheart. Okay. And they just recently cast uh, Alden Enric. He played the younger version of Harrison Ford's character from the Star Wars movies. This was the solo standalone film yep. from back, back in May of 2018. I think I've heard of it. So he just got cast in that. Like I said, we'll get to meet Riri in Wakanda Forever. But who we won't get to see in this Black Panther sequel is Daniel Kaluuya. He played T'Challa's best friend, Wakabi, in the original Black Panther movie, but he was the one who uh, had the falling out with Wakanda's king and then sided with Killmonger. And evidently, he had been written into the script for the Black Panther sequel, but it turns out there were scheduling conflicts with uh, Universal Pictures' Nope, Aww. that Jordan Peele film that, by the way, arrives in theaters next week. So in the end, it was just one of these things where it's like, I can't make it over. You know, I'm sorry. I, I would love to be in the movie, but uh, we're shooting this and I can't leave. And so they wrote him out of the script. Oh, and it ended very harshly because they said, can you tell us why? And he said, nope. And they went, well, fine, be that way. And he's like, no, guys, I'm trying to tell you. Tell us what? Nope. Oh, if you're just going to be a jerk, fine, click. Like, oh. Uh... <laughs> Who's on first? What's on I second? was about to say, we're really channeling Abbott and Costello there. There we go. On the other hand, somebody who we've seen before, who who actually a kind of a nice surprise coming back to the canvas is uh, Chloe Bennett. We know her for several different names on uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. She arrived on the show as Sky, then changed her name to Daisy Johnson when I guess she, she met her, her really for real dad. And then by the end of the show, thanks to some Terrigen crystals, she was now Quake. Okay, now this brings up a whole slew of questions mm -hmm. that I did not expect to have happen during this episode. Okay. If she's playing her old character from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., that should reconfirm that S.H.I.E.L.D. is now canon. I mean, it was only a few months ago we were saying, did Kevin write S.H.I.E.L.D. out of existence? Is it no longer canon? She's going to be showing up in Secret War, which is the show that's built around Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury character, who was in charge of S.H.I.E.L.D. And didn't Nick Fury actually show up once in the ABC show? Didn't they bring him in? Oh, they had like a cameo from from a, a couple of actors. I can't remember who, who they were, but mm -hmm. um, either way, it brings up the Inhumans again which is also rather surprising because I, I had written them out of the canon as well, even though mm -hmm. we still saw uh, Black Bolt in, uh, in, in Multiverse of Madness. Mm -hmm. um, I still was just kind of thinking, oh, you know, that's, it's that one-off. It's that one-time thing. Again, think about it. We were saying that this past November, December, when uh, Vincent DeFario's, uh, in fact, you know, think about how long we waited before Kingpin finally came on the canvas. Oh, my God, it's Kingpin. Sure. And in that same window of time, we, of course, got Charlie Cox's uh, Matt Murdock turns up as Peter Parker's lawyer in a, a blink and you'll miss it appearance in uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, well, uh, evidently, uh, these two gentlemen are legitimately coming back on the canvas because we just got word you know, coming off of the set of Echo that uh, Charlie Cox's Daredevil character and Vincent DeFario's Kingpin will be part of the storyline for Echo, which, of course, is a follow-up continuation of last year's Hawkeye. And then, again, just to further muddy the water here, we have just this past week learned that we now have a director for Captain America 4, which this is Captain America as played by Anthony Mackie, who used to be the Falcon, but then took Steve Rogers' shield. And All right, hold on. Before you get to the reveal yep. of the director, the question I'll ask is, is this a director that's already been in the MCU? It's not some brothers, uh, I don't think. Is it, is it a new person, an old person? Who's, uh, new or old? Jul Julius Ona. 
Now, that doesn't answer the question. <laughs> have, they, have they directed for us before? Uh, not, not to my understanding. Okay. All right. So we've got New Blood. Now, mind you, the script is being handled by Mar- Malcolm Spellman, who is the creator and head writer of Falcon and the Water Soldier. Okay. And he's being assisted by a, a Daniel uh, Munson, who was a staff writer on Falcon and the Water Soldier. So. Okay. Script is going to be uh, similar in tone uh, to, again, the wonderful Falcon of the Winter Soldier limited series. But we we have a new director, so going to be kind of interesting to see what he does and how that story moves forward. Forgive me, folks, there's kind of a method to my madness here tonight. We just talked about five different projects that, you know, films and limited series that Marvel is working on now in addition to other projects. And... All of these films feature some huge effects work. And I bring that up because I don't know how many of you are aware of the discussion that's going on over at Reddit with some visual effects professionals. This has been kind of whispered in the background for a while now, but this is finally coming out into the spotlight. And they are talking about why they don't want to work for Marvel Studios. And their reasons are unworkable deadlines on these limited series and these movies, huge pressure to deliver scenes and effects on very, very short deadlines. And some are flat out claiming that Marvel Studios has the worst visual effects management in Hollywood today. Just want to share a few quotes of why people are just so frustrated with Marvel. And it's like, uh, take for example, on Thor, they asked for a complete mini sequence two to three weeks before deadline. Another example is they expect a smorgasbord of options so they can change their minds three more times. Mm-hmm. This one really does kind of a deep dive. Marvel probably has the worst methodology when it comes to production and visual effects management out there. They can never fix the look of a show before more than half the allotted time to produce the effects on a project is already over. And the artists working on Marvel shows are definitely not paid equivalent for the amount of work they put in. And finally, one veteran flat out says, I request not to work on Marvel movies and TV shows. Unfortunately, they've become our biggest client. This didn't used to be like this, Aaron. In fact, I've got a copy here right now. This book is called The View from the Bridge, and it's the memoir of Nicholas Meyer. He was the gentleman who wrote and directed Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. He tells a story about when he's gotten hired. This is 1981, and he's just been signed to direct the film, and he's about to rewrite the script. And so Harb Bennett, the producer, asks him, well, what about the script? And it's like, well, you know, we've got five different drafts. Why don't we just make a list of everything we like from the five drafts? It, you know, it could be a plot, a subplot, a sequence, a scene, a character, a line even. And, and then I'll, I'll write a new script and cobble all these together, all the things together that we choose. And Harv pauses for a moment. And it's like, well, the problem is that unless we turn over a shooting script of some sort to Industrial Light and Magic in 12 days, they can't guarantee that they can get, you know, all of the effect shots done in time for the June release. And, I mean, we're talking about, you know, they're, they're literally, this is the fall of 1981. Because they had committed to just one effects house that was going to do all of the work for that film. Mm. Now, I bring that up because if we jump ahead to 2004... I don't know if you've ever seen the Roland Emmerich movie, Day After Tomorrow, oh, the yeah. one about... Yep. Okay, okay. Nancy and I were lucky enough to go to a Visual Effects Society symposium where Roland... We watched Roland sit on stage and basically talk about people prior to making effects, giant effects films like this one. They would stick with one house. They'd just go with an ILM. And I don't do that. What I do to keep my costs down is I literally take every effect scene in the movie... And I parcel it out to a different effects house. Mm-hmm. So on this movie, we had 12 different effects houses working on all these things. Mm-hmm. And that was actually supposedly the moment that kind of broke the industry because it was that then became the norm. Mm-hmm. In fact, Nancy and I were sitting in the theater yesterday watching Thor Love and Thunder and watching the 
10 minute long credit sequence rolled by where it was this endless sea of, okay, this affects house and then this affects house and then this affects house. And, you know, all of them having taken on individual elements of the film and you can go online right now. And there is a piece of video that Taika Watiti and Tessa Thompson, and they're looking at a scene that's set at new Asgard where it's lady Thor, Chris Hemsworth, Thor, Korg and Valkyrie are in a room together conferring about what to do next. And and so two of them look together, well, what do you look at the scene? And Tessa actually says, well, you know, Korg doesn't look real. And Taika, it's like, yeah, well, we didn't have enough time and maybe I should have made him bluer and blah, 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 blah. But they themselves admitted, well, you know, we didn't have enough time. Right. But that's the thing. When you have this must deliver a new, uh, you know, limited series every quarter for Disney Plus and th at least three theatrical films per year. That's a lot of effects footage to churn out. And in fact, we were just talking about the 49.5 hours worth of MCU related content that came out during phase four. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy these sorts of movies, but the stories about people who are working 80 to 100 hour work, you know, work weeks. Right. Well, so f the effects places, they bid a lot of times on a job, right? So they say, do. I'll, I'll they do. Can do that for a million dollars there, Mr. Mm -hmm. Marvel. And yep. Mr. Marvel cuts a check for a million dollars. And then Mr. Marvel gets all nitpicky and so they change their mind and say, well, let's make the sky green in this shot. Well, it's going to take time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, take time. Go do it. That's what mm -hmm. I want. I'm paying for it. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the problem. When you make movies... You know what can be done and what can't be done. You see that little kid holding the balloon in the lower left corner? Yeah, paint him out. Well, it's going to take time. Well, I, yeah, well, do it. Mm -hmm. it. Here's money. Money makes all the world's problems go away. I don't care if you ain't seen your family in two weeks. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Marvel can have a, a pretty high standard because everything they've done so far, their track record's been really good, and they're, and they're shiny at the moment. So they can, they can complain to someone and just bark. <laughs> make it perfect, make it better. I want it three weeks early. I want this. And those those people that are managing the company, they want the business. They want the money. They got to bid for it. So they got to bid low. And then all of a sudden, everybody's working triple overtime because Marvel's picky. Well, those people that run those companies, you know, they have to bid higher. They have to explain a, a, a quality of life scenario, which means we either have to hire more people or we have to allow for people to have time off, which means we need longer deadlines. And if you can't do it, then you pass on the job so your people don't mutiny on you and quit and murder you in the middle of a project. But the fact is Marvel knows that you can make the sky purple one day and green the next. And if they, on a whim, decide they want to see all those options, guess what you're doing all day? You're changing the color of the freaking sky because someone got nitpicky. I guess the thing that strikes me kind of ironic about this whole thing is there are outfits like Rhythm and Hughes. These are the people, like, for example, who did Babe. Mm -hmm. They won the Academy Award for Life of Pi back in 2013 and, and then had to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. They'd had the greatest success, but the, the same thing, the very financial thing you were talking about. They had to compete with all of the other studios and had to underbid. And in the end, they didn't get the balance right. And all of these talented people who were some of the very best effects people on the planet lost their gigs and had to go find someplace else to work. Was because ILM part of the Lucasfilm deal? Do they own ILM right now? Disney? Ah, that's a really interesting question. Because if they did, I would just say you guys are the in-house grunts. Sorry, but this is your salt mine. And uh, you hand them a little pickaxe in whatever movies in the either Marvel or Star Wars or Disney pipeline. And mm -hmm. they're just your in-house special effects team, the very finest in the world. And you don't let anyone else ever touch them ever again. I mean, they make a lot of money by doing films for everybody in the world, and that would be silly to cut off that revenue stream. But really, you've got that much work that you could do that. True. But the problem there is that there's this kind of this myth about the Disney company, you know, that this all-knowing mega corporation, when the hard reality is it's 35, 37 separate little companies that are all their own little cost centers, and, you know, the whole notion of, you know, well, I got this much money 
from the company to produce this project. And, ooh, I could use Disney's own animators to do this. And then it's like, well, how much does Disney charge? You know, and it's like Disney doesn't cut. You know, if you're doing something for the parks, it's not a question of, oh, well, Disney animation is going to cut you a break. Sure, yeah, right. Because you work for the same company. It's like, no, I'm, I'm a cost center too. You know, I have to turn a profit. And so more often than not, you know, they were charging so much that Disney was forced, well, geez, I would love to you know, to have had our people animated, but I couldn't afford it. So I went someplace else. And I wonder if that's the same thing. You know, with the, the only reason that I bring this up, and this sounds really odd, but logically, it's the pipeline of the internal structure of, of making a movie you need you know, the raw work parts of, of the film, and then you're going to obviously have the VFX team, and you're going to have people scoring music, and then you're going to layer in sound effects in a Foley stage, and there's all these things, and it all ends up going from, you know, whether it be filmed, to be scanned, to run a digital on a hard drive, but eventually all of this stuff ends up somewhere on a computer. And the thing is, is if you have 20 different effects companies across the world doing 20 different tasks, they all have to mm -hmm. ship you a thing that you then have to plug into your pipeline and make work. And the idea is you've actually got all of the stuff you need under your umbrella right now if you can just unify it under one single roof and make that your production house for yourself. The machine will move more quickly because you're not dependent on time zone differences and downloading a, a five terabyte file because it was shot in 8K in Germany. You know, mm -hmm. it's there. It's already on your hard drive. It's sitting there. You can just work on it and not wait for nine hours for the download. Simple stuff like that will save you days and weeks at the end of your production schedule. No doubt, no doubt. But in two weeks' time, Light and Magic, a six-week-long or a six-episode-long documentary about the history of industrial light and magic, will debut mm -hmm. on Disney Plus. And you'll have all of the, you know, in fact, that again, one of the reasons Nancy and I loved to go to these visual effects symposiums is that the assumption was that if you were sitting in that auditorium, you were somebody who, who worked in this industry or knew this industry. And so, okay, I don't have to toe the official party line. In fact, Phil Tippett once told my favorite story ever about working on a big summer blockbuster. Uh, I want to say it was the David Duchovny, Ivan Reitman film, uh, Evolution. Yep. And he, he sat on stage and said, you know, working on a, a summer blockbuster sometimes is a lot like working on uh, at Los Alamos. You work in absolute secrecy. You work on a very tight deadline. And every so often, you find out you're working on a bomb. <laughs> it's just, it's a terrible movie. And no amount of making the effects better is going to change. That is a terrible movie. And we're, we, we change the ending of the movie. We now have to hire effect, effects house at the last minute to come in and change the ending of the movie. And it's got to match up the very thing you were just talking about, the notion of, okay, this has to match that footage. And, oh, by the way, David Duchovny went off and gained, you know, 20 pounds between when we, you know, shot the original footage and we're shooting the new ending. And, well, how do, how do we make that go away? You don't. You just put a ham sandwich in his hand. And, uh... <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> I'm just going to get a Danish. So, all right. Anyway, that's enough about effects. But we'll talk a little bit more about effects, and in particular, the effects we saw in Thor Love and Thunder and Ms. Marvel when we get back from this break. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. 
your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. A few shows back, we were talking about those Marvel-themed promo banners that were for Comic-Con International that were popping up all over San Diego and we were kind of hoping that this was an indication that... Marvel Studios is actually going to come back to Comic-Con for the first time since 2019, and which is true. Three big panels that sound like, you know, if you're going to Comic-Con, you can't miss. Thursday, July 21st in Ballroom 6BCF from 215 to 315, they're doing a presentation on Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, which has just been pushed out to 2023. The hard reality of if you're a television series, you know, it's not just that, are you a well-produced show? Do you have good stars? It's like, oh, and do are you on the right night? Are you on yeah. in, in the right, do you have the right time slot? Does that matter in the streaming world anymore? Was this for streaming? Where was this going? This is supposed to start on Disney Channel, but also... Ah be on Disney Plus. So okay. I, I get the uneasy feeling that, yeah, that maybe having the right window to drop this in might have been... Uh, because well, no, it, let's, watch, let's watch over that because it would be interesting to find out if Disney's got a, a, the strategy of let's put it on live television at a set time, let's say Monday at noon. And then when does it drop on Disney Plus? Is it a week later? Is it a day later? How much weight do they put on the live coming first, if any at all? Do they drop them both on Monday, right? That's an interesting question, because I know they were doing some of that with Owl House and Amphibia, that it would drop on channel first, and then they'd be available. What was the gap? All... Do you remember? I'm trying to remember. I'll, like I'll tell you what, I'll do a some re- days off the top of your head. It doesn't have to be specific, but it wasn't like a I'm month away. Not... I want to say in some cases it was weeks oh, later. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So. Well, that would be interesting if they waited a couple of weeks, because that means they're putting a lot of emphasis on their, their live TV. They don't want that to get lost in the excitement of Disney+. Plus. And the other thing is, you know, I was just thinking the other day, I have not purchased a Marvel movie on either a digital format or a physical format since I've been a Disney Plus subscriber, and that's two years now. Well, I have to admit, I'm I'm still a sucker. You know, I will walk by the end cap and go, oh, the new one is out. Okay. Mm, okay. Again, I have very slow, slow or low sales resistance. I want. I, I would love to be able to see a, a peek at what the, if, if they're um, either digital or physical media sales have slumped at all because, you know, the, if, if say, you know, um, 10 million people are subscribers to Disney plus. Do you lose 10 million sales of, say, if they're Marvel, you know, 5 million are Marvel fans and 5 million are Star Wars fans? Do you lose 5 million in sales on DVDs and Blu rays and digital from that? I mean, you, you've got the subscription and you're still buying. So the, you know, the answer is not, it's not a direct equation. There's a mm-hmm. percentage that's happening. What's that percentage? That's what I want to figure out there. They're being fairly tight with that. Oh, but on the other hand, have, yeah. We do have a quarterly earning call coming up shortly. Maybe they, they will reveal some of the info. It's worth noting, by the way, the, the Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur panel isn't the only Marvel animation-related thing that's being done this year's Comic-Con. On Friday, July 22nd, from 11.45 to 1.15 p.m., they're doing a 90-minute-long presentation where... And, and this is working more of the adult side of the street when it comes to animation. We get the X-Men 97 show, we get Marvel Zombies, and we get season two of Marvel What If. And that goes down in Ballroom 20. I have to caution you folks, if you want to get into Ballroom 20, it's a huge space, but not, you know it still fills up. I would suggest try to get into a panel, at least one panel before the Marvel one. And if you're going to Comic-Con, they're doing an MCO panel. This one is on Saturday, July 23rd. It's the last panel of the day in Hall H. It starts at 5 p.m. 
and is expected to show footage from Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Ant-Man of the Wasp, Quantumania, hoping to get stuff from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, even some stuff from the Marvels. So all I can caution you folks is, again, this panel begins at 5. If you can get in line, I mean, the Hall H line is typically outside and people will get there first thing in the morning uh, because they want to be in the Marvel Hall H presentation. So you meet some some really great people in line and you, you have some fun conversations because you're out there for three, four, five hours. And every so often the line will chug forward because some panel will leave and, you know, finish and, and folks will leave the hall and then they'll allow, you know, that many more people in. But be kind of interesting to see if they talk about Thor 5. I have seen Thor Love and Thunder. Garen hasn't gotten around to, to seeing it yet, so we're going to be a little light on uh, this Taika Waititi movie. But I, I don't know if you saw the, the story from the premiere of uh, at the El Cap where the title card comes up at the, the very end of Thor that Thor will return and Taika Waititi and Chris Hemsworth turn to each other and it's like, did you know anything about this? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's strangely written in Kevin Feige's handwriting and also done in crayon. It was a last minute thing. I guess both Taika and, and Chris were like, okay. So I heard that Taika said that he wouldn't mind doing a, a another Thor movie if it was like $5 million budget road trip movie. I know that there are some folks who have trouble with the tone of this thing. And I have to say, it's kind of a great summer movie. The stakes aren't crazy high like they were for, say, Infinity War or Endgame. We do lose a, a major character. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I would argue that the skill turned from it being a really silly, fun summer movie to something that having weight and meaning. I, I think Taika actually does a really good job. Mm -hmm. And Christian Bale's work as Gore the God Butcher, this is kind of what you really want for a villain. You know, there's a full arc here. It's a great performance. It really is. So they were doing some reshoots with Christian Bale a while back because they didn't think they were quite getting what they needed for gore. They were rather vague about what they were doing, but, you know, just picking some stuff up. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, it's not like you're going to see the a, a frame flash up going, this is the original footage and this is the supplement footage. But the question is... What do you think it was that they were trying to capture? Was it the heart of a villain that you could sympathize with? Or was there some sort of rage in there that made him terrifying that where, he, where maybe that was it? Christian Bale like, has alluded to the fact that you know, he he could same thing. He went to the movie and saw it for the first time. Oh, you know, there's so much other stuff we did that didn't make it in. Right. And there's one genuinely terrifying moment in this movie that Bale does an amazing job of, but it, it's kind of the one really over-the-top moment in it. But but beyond that, you you get why this character would have done what he did. And I can see why if they, again, remember the word we kept hearing is we're working on tone, we're working on tone. Mm -hmm. I could get why they'd go back and reshoot because it's like, okay, you had it at 11. We need a nine. Mm. The other thing that's fascinating is the word came out of Marvel Studios that this is a summer blockbuster. All right. And because it's a summer blockbuster and because of all of the poor exhibitors who've had to put up with the two and a half hour long cut of Spider-Man No Way Home and likewise the almost eternal cut of Eternals. The word came down. It's like, look, Thor, Love and Thunder has to be two hours. Just has to be. And so uh, this, the, the very thing you were talking about on last week's show, the, the footage with Jeff Goldblum and Peter Dinklage and Lena Headley, uh -huh. that all fell by the wayside because it's like, look, we, you know, the, this is the promise we made to the exhibitors. We will give you a two-hour-long film, which means you can run it several more times a day than you can a two-and-a-half-hour-long movie. Uh, and, and more to the point, the, the very thing you were talking about, about are we ever going to get to see this stuff? And it's like Taika Waititi is like, no, we're not. I don't want people to see the deleted scenes because they're deleted for a reason. They're not good enough. Likewise, because it is now the fourth Thor film, but actually the ninth time 
that Chris Hemsworth has played this character. I mean, if you fold in the voice work that he did for the uh, If Thor Was a Party Monster episode of What If. But they've done some, some really interesting things. Like, for example, if you go to Hollywood and you see this at the El Cap, they have the full array of character costumes on display there in the lobby and in the lower display pace. Likewise, if you go over to uh, Disney's California Adventure, just this past Friday, the mighty Thor, James Foster's version of the character, is now meeting and greeting with folks at that theme park. Which, as I understand it, there are so many little girls who are kind of losing their mind. It's like, I want my picture taken with Lady Thor. So, um, but like I said, folks, we're going to let Aaron get a look at this, and then we'll do a deeper dive. Well, hold on, wait a minute. You got you to talk about the buttons, right? The the little tease scenes. Well, I mean, uh, I, I know what they are. Okay, you're not saving me from anything, and you know the fans kind of want to, you know, talk about those things. All right. Well, okay. So the mid-credit sequence, we have. Uh, well, by the way, we did not talk about. Russell Crowe's take on Zeus, which he has him, you know, Russell Crowe plays Zeus as if Zeus is the gentleman who runs a Greek restaurant. <laughs> I mean, it's it's actually really a delightful performance where it's just sort of, like, it's that guy, you know, just sort of, you know, the, the guy who's run a very popular restaurant right, for, yeah. for a lot of years and it just, that's it, we eat, we talk, you know, that, or, or if you misbehave, you're not invited to the orgy. Yeah. But it, it's a wonderful performance, but we won't get into why Zeus, as the film closes, has a bone to pick with Thor, but right. he definitely is is looking to, to get even with the, the God of Thunder. And so uh, he turns to his son, Hercules. Definitely, uh, well, you know from, from your knowledge of the, of the Marvel comics that Thor and, and Hercules start off as rivals, but then become friendly, right? Well, sure. And, I, I mean, mean, you got to have the the Greek gods and the and the Norse gods. All the gods got to find a way to coexist because there's so darn many of them. But mm-hmm. the thing is, mm-hmm. I, I'm more uh, shocked by the stunt casting that yeah. they did with Brett Goldstein I, I, from Ted Lasso fame. I just can imagine, you know, Hercules going, My "Bloody hell! What the <laughs> hell! Oh that." <laughs> but anyway, yeah. like, uh, yeah. the, well, we got that with uh, Harry Styles at the end of Eternals, mm-hmm. right? He ends up coming out as brother of Thanos. Then we get Brett Goldstein showing up as Hercules at the end of this movie. When we get to see him again, is it going to have to wait all the way till Thor 5? That's usually how that goes. We've still got an Adam Warlock in a cocoon somewhere hoping to hatch for Guardians 3. We've got a lot of these things that are plopped at the end of a movie and we're still waiting for them to come to fruition in many, many instances. So, and I've been seeing rumors of a Hercules series for Disney plus, uh, which I don't put a lot of faith in that until the, the stuff happens at Comic-Con and they make all of their announcements. There have been a thousand and one rumors of late that have all been bupkis. So we'll have to just wait and see on that. But yeah, Brett Goldstein showing up all of a sudden makes me wonder, you know, what, when's that cat going to reappear? Uh, mm-hmm. And in what form, what movie, what series is he going to show up in and why? It's intriguing you bring that up because as Thor and the mighty Thor and Valkyrie and Korg are making their, their getaway from, from Zeus's hideaway. They blow through a window, and, and looking in this giant window are, are two Celestials from the Eternals. Who, And remember, we, we have also our Eternals, who's the big bad of the uh, Cosmic Rewind thing at Epcot. And I just, you know, it's that line from uh, Mean Girls, where, where somebody's trying to make a catchphrase Stop work. Stop trying to make it, fetch a thing. This is the thing. Yeah. I feel like with the Celestials, it's like, guys, I, you know, I, I don't know if this is going to work. Well, here's the other thing. I saw a, a photo of that image, and it mm-hmm. seems to me in that image that the Celestials have been shrunk down mightily to make mm-hmm. that image work. And that's one of those things in my anal retentive nature that will bug me till the end of time, if that's the case, if they're all of a sudden much, much smaller because I love in the Eternals how, you know, that thing is planet-sized. 
Mm-hmm. And it shows them, you know, often when they're doing their little narrative backstory stuff, how they're often distant galaxies swirling mass and, of gas and creating stars in the palm of your hand. You got to be mighty big for a star to fit in the palm of your hand. And if mm-hmm. they shrink them down so they can play peekaboo through an olive garden window on Mount Olympus for Zeus, <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm going to be like, oh, come on, guys. Come on. You can do better than that. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll like, see when I like see Like I it. said, yeah. they, they keep trying to make fetch work. Okay. okay. And then, okay, so one more button. Yes. Well, I, you know, that, that, uh, <sighs> just say it. Rip it off like a band aid. Go ahead. Okay. So, we, we get to see Jane Foster arrive in Valhalla. And you, of course, know who greets her. Yep. Uh, you know, why uh, I'm blowing. Heimdale. Heimdale, there we go. Idris uh, Elba with the, the dulcet tones and those golden eyes that they give him. So anything else story-wise that uh, the, that leads us down? No, I mean, it just, again, it was a wonderful sort of throwback to going to the movies during the summer, you know, in, in the 80s and 90s. In fact, that between the soundtrack and... You have to stay for the end credits, if only to see, you know, all of the, the stars and the creatives' name in the the art style of every album cover from the 1980s. Oh, awesome. I just did, yeah, I just, I mean, again, it, it was fun. It didn't necessarily, you didn't walk out there going, oh, you know, I have to see what happens next. You know, I'll be back here in three months or, or that sort of thing. Right. It was it was just fun. Okay, good. On the other hand, if we now pivot to talking about episode six of Ms. Marvel and kind of, you know, weird parallel, the whole setting our, our action climax Mostly in a high school, I, I guess given the many sort of John Hughes moments that we previously had in this thing, that made sense. Mm. What was your take on it? Uh, when I was watching it at the end, I'm just going to jump straight to the end. Uh, I was getting rather emotional. And one thing I've come to learn over all of these years, I thought I was going crazy. Why do I get emotional about this stuff? What I've learned is, you know, when you're, when you're young... Uh, you you don't see a whole lot of bad in the world. You're kind of shielded from it. When you're an adult, you see a wealth of violence and hurt and pain and stupid and suffering. And mm-hmm. it's only in moments of kindness and genuine heart that seem rare and so treasured that it actually makes you emotional now because you've just mm-hmm. seen so much ugly. And this show had so much stinking heart mm-hmm. that I was just like, always had a tear at the edge of my eyelid ready to drop and, and make a marathon down my cheek. It was mm-hmm. just always there ready to happen. There was just so much stinking heart. The characters are too likable, Jim. Too likable. I don't like the fact I like him as much as I do. Makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> the, the mom, I want her as my mom. The dad, I want him as my dad. I want to be adopted into this family. I want to eat their food. I want to uh, have lovely little debates with them. And uh, the, the way that the community rallied together, the way that Miss Marvel finds her title, um, all of it. Just stinking awesome. And, you know, the I'm going to skip over all of the specifics of the story, but I will say that I brought this up to you as we were speaking privately off the air about the construction of the story. It's not your typical uh, villain nemesis that's chasing the our protagonist to move the story forward. It's actually just sitting down, getting to learn who this girl is, learning what her family life is, because it's very important to her character. Mm-hmm. And to be able to spend all of, all of that time without a villain nagging you forward in your story. And I think some people may be turned off by the fact that it's not, you know, edge of your seat, thriller, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I appreciate the fact that they didn't do that. I appreciate the fact that I got to spend all of this time with all of the characters because I love each and every one of them dearly. Just like the kids in Stranger Things, you got to spend time with them little rugrats so you can care about them. And there is a, a rich, diverse cast, and we needed to spend time with them, and, and I'm glad that we did because it made them all lovable as, as people. So there, I'm done praising the stupid show that did so well and made me cry a lot for its richness and its humanity and its kindness and its cheeriness, and I was so dang happy to see her sitting on that street lamp at the end. Yeah, yeah. Though you have a far more in-depth knowledge of Marvel Comics and the the, the the MCU and that sort of thing, 
did the the mutation see now again i'm conflicted because we're talking about you know do do the inhumans still have a place in this world because if we get you know daisy back from agents of shield that mm -hmm. means that we've got inhumans and terrigen mists and all of that along with it right so mm -hmm. um why now is this character being shied away from inhuman titles if uh, if they're not coming back, if if they're not coming back, I would get it. But if they are coming back, then then why pull this character out of that? But on the flip side of that, I got to you know hear the music cue. You had some interesting insights about what they did with that music cue. Yeah, so I'm just gonna go ahead and and play these uh, rather quickly. Then they're just real simple, quick clips. This is the first one that I'm gonna play. Is the music cue from uh, Miss Marvel earlier today. And you recognize it, right? That's the, the X-Men theme from 97, right? The animated uh -huh. series? Okay. Mm -hmm. So when, when the, the character tells her that there's something wrong with her genes, that there's some sort of mutation, and then they mm -hmm. play that little musical cue, I was more interested in the musical cue more than anything else. And I'll explain why. Um, first okay. off, we've had a bunch of X-Men movies with Wolverine and Patrick Stewart. And, you know, that was created by Fox. And they had a musical score. And we didn't use that. Right? We used this one instead. Now, if you'll remember, this right here, this music cue is coming from Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And that's when Patrick Stewart shows up as Professor Xavier. But again, that's the 1997 theme. And just to drive the point home, here's the 1997 riff. So they're obviously specifically reaching back to the 1997 animated X-Men. And they've done it musically in Multiverse of Madness, now again in Miss Marvel. And I've been thinking, you know, for the longest time, oh, we got John Krasinski as Mr. Fantastic. Is this the time of the Fantastic Four? And they're beating me over the head with an X-Men 97 theme. And I'm like, what, huh, huh, what? Oh, pay attention to this, you say. What if X-Men is a lot closer than we ever anticipated? Well, I mean... I, they are making look, the X-Men 97 continuation, the animated series. I mean... They are. I mean, they come are. on, the compass is pointing every direction to that as the next thing to keep your eyes open for, right? Isn't that what it's saying? Uh, that's a really interesting theory, because that's a whole... I mean, face it, that's a whole different template for bringing the X-Men into the MCU. If that's, that's the flavor you're going for... There's a lot of really cool things that were in the animated series that they could be pointing to, that they could draw from in in uh, whatever the X-Men do arrive. So who knows? And after all, Doctor Strange did go through an animated universe out there somewhere. Maybe it's all as connected, just as What If is connected now. With Kevin Feige, you know, being in charge of the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and, and its various related environs, is he really does treat the history of the company and the comic books and the films and the TV shows, it's a buffet. Mm -hmm. Kevin grabs his tray and, you know, he, you know, oh, I like this element out of, you know, I mean, just, for example, what he did with the Jane Foster stage four cancer storyline with Thor Love and Thunder, which, again, we'll get to after Aaron gets this to see this Taika Waititi film a little further down the line. But I just, I, I love that that's how he operates. It's like, ooh, I, I really like that from the animated series. And ooh, wouldn't it be cool if Kamala Khan had a tie to this? And speaking of tying things together, we have to talk about the very last scene for this show. Were you expecting that? Our appearance of our uh, long-lost Carol Danvers? Yeah, I, I didn't have any expectations of her showing up. Mm -hmm. And so when Kamala disappeared through, you know, like she kind of crashed backwards through a closet door and then, you know, Carol Danvers pops up and she glances around the room and sees the fan worship all over the walls of her pictures. And she's like, oh, no, 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 no. Um, yep. And then she runs out. Where is she going to run to? What is she going to do? What did that what did that cue her to do? I wonder how long do we have to wait to find out when's Miss Mar uh, the, the Marvel's two years away? I 
That, well, August. August, August oh. of next year. Okay, so um, there's that. But yeah. beyond that, th- that also made me wonder, because remember they had the saying in the show, that which hmm. you seek is also seeking you? Could that have been that she was looking for Carol this whole time, and Carol is somehow, for some reason we don't understand yet, also looking for her? Uh, okay, I, I I love that you do this. I love to lay a boat hook out, you know, and it's like okay, have, something. Got so many questions, absolutely zero for answers. That's my mm. skill. But again, we're in that that quiet little morning period now, folks, because again, we've gotten our. Our six full episodes of Ms. Marvel, and like I said, it's going to be a year plus before we get to see the Marvels and and how uh, you know Carol and Kamala and uh, Monica all come together. Mm. But uh, in the meantime, uh, if we can wait a few weeks, uh, we have She-Hulk: Attorney at Law uh, that debuts on Disney Plus on August seventeenth, and to to bring this whole show full circle. People are pushing back against the initial teaser trailer and that sort of thing. We're suddenly in the the weird Sonic space again. Oh, that you know, yeah. everybody's complaining about the look of the Jennifer Walter Titania Maslani's character and the director of the show, Kate Corio. It's just like we're working on it. We did the trailer and we, we are asking ourselves, are are we getting these facial expressions and these nuances of reaction correct? As we're working on these effects, it's it's all. This is where all the time comes into play. Just really honing it in. Meanwhile, the VFX house is pointing up to higher up your list, going, "Hey, see those complaints we registered earlier in the show? Read those again, and uh, yeah. get back to us." Well, here's the first thing, and mm-hmm. we had this problem with the original Hulk back in the day when Ang Lee did it, and I had a friend who was just like, "That didn't look real at all, dude. Totally didn't look mm-hmm. real, dude. Totally stupid. Didn't look real." And I'm like, uh, first off. Have you ever seen a 17-foot-tall green man in real life just kind of mm. walking about down the street? Well, no, nah, dude, but you know what I mean. It looked fake. And I'm like, yeah, 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 17-tall green man. <laughs> That's what mm. I'm going to put my argument on. Uh, they're not a thing you see from day to day. So when all of a sudden you're confronted with one, it's going to look a little off because it's not your everyday sight. So... uh be okay with it you know i mean she's like now because she she grows taller right so she goes from five foot two to like a whopping seven foot three and she turns green yeah it's gonna look a little odd that's that's what happens when you put on an extra three feet and green skin miss corio goes on to say that if you think about thanos or hulk Mm -hmm. as you were just mentioning these characters have a harshness a grizzliness Mm -hmm. a bulkiness to them that are different, whereas Thanos had a five o'clock shadow for crying out loud. Well, this is right. True. So I mean, she just needs some pores, some beautiful pores to make it not look plastic. I mean, there's there's little details they're still putting. It'll be fine. And this is the thing: she has to be attractive. She has mm. to be smart. She has to be believable in a courtroom setting. And it's just this is a lot to try to dial in. Yeah. And we, we face it: we we had been hearing for a while now that she Hulk attorney at law. In a weird sort of way, we're back to Gore the God Butcher. We're working on tone. We're dialing it in. And just the downside is that at this point, having seen and and read those things from the visual effects professionals, it's like Marvel will eventually get it right. They always do. But the the problem is that now we're kind of aware of the price. You know, the the guys who are working, the the uh, the, the guys and gals, are, you know, who work visual effects who are working eighty and a hundred hour weeks and you know, trying to meet impossible deadlines three weeks out from, you know, when these things arrive in theaters or show up on on Disney Plus. So You know, unfortunately uh, the the sad truth is until Marvel has an absolute failure on their hands, I don't think they're gonna learn their lesson on this at all. I mean they're gonna keep pushing people to their limit because that's what you do. Creatively you always ask for better until you run out of budget or time and you can always supplement budget with a little bit more money, but you, you usually can't do much about time. Um, if you're going to stick religiously to a release date. So at some point, it's going to get ripped out of your hands and taken away from you. But until then, you're going to badger every last department to do better, more, and and put in you know the blood, sweat, and tears. I only see tears, Rebecca. Where's your blood? Where's your sweat? Come on now. I, now stop crying. I told you I've got enough of your tears. I want blood. Blood! <laughs> 
Wow. I, I, I begin to see why your career in HR never worked out. <laughs> no, so. no. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I, on that note, folks, that, that brings us to the end of yet another marvelous Disney. And like I said, come back next week and uh, we'll do a deeper dive on, on Thor Love and Thunder and see if it did, in fact, uh, blow through the $200 million barrier in North America. In the meantime, Aaron, if, if folks are, are looking for further insights, uh, like your, your wonderful uh, X-Men theme notes from today, mm -hmm. uh, where can they find you online? Uh, you can find me on Slander, at Azaprod. I just talk badly about people there. Ah. And then uh, over on Twitter, I'm a little bit more jovial, and uh, also at Azaprod. I use the same handle, both at Slander and at Twitter. Um, it, it just depends. If you want nice me, go to Twitter. If you want me to talk bad about you, go over to Slander, and I'll, I'll say something really horrible uh, about how maybe, maybe your oatmeal is rather bland. Ha-ha! Take that! Touché! Okay. I don't know if I'm well, I... Touché! Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> All right. Uh, social media, this side of the fence. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and over on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. Uh, also want to point out, we have a couple other podcasts here we'd love you to take a listen to. We, of course, have Disney Dish, which I do with Len Testa. Uh, we also have Fine Tuning, which I do with Drew Taylor. That's animation news. Uh, Brian Gannon, I just literally did a new Looking at Lucasfilm where we also talked at length about what's going on at Comic-Con. And, uh, but yeah, if you could, uh, want to give those a listen, that would be great. Uh, likewise, if you want to head over to Apple podcasts and rate and recommend the show you're listening to right now, Marvelous Disney, that would be helpful. Uh, likewise, if you really, really, really like what you hear, you want to head to Bandcamp and subscribe, uh, that would be great. And I think that's going to do it for this week. So, um, you know, on behalf of Mr. Adams, thanks for listening. And if you're a visual effects professional, go take a nap. <laughs> <laughs>